For the next few weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Ecclesiastes, at least the first couple chapters of it. Um, we're going to be looking at something that the, uh, the preacher, the teacher, Solomon, who wrote the book, calls is, is vanity. But he says three things that are vanity in the first two chapters that are important for churches to notice. And this is not a series that's going to be necessarily on the individual. It's more on the congregation as a whole. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready? You don't have to answer this out loud. But just think in your mind, okay? When you think about a Christian, imagine, your, imagine in your mind that a person, maybe, maybe a man who is a Christian. Chances are that if you've grown up around the church or you've grown up in America at all, it's something that looks like this except just without this maybe, right? Wearing a nice suit with a tie, his hair done. That's what we do, right? We get ready on Sunday mornings. We get in our bathroom and, and you quarantine yourselves in the bathroom. At least if it's like our house, then we have two bathrooms. Becca's in one and I'm in the other. And we're quarantined getting ready for Sunday worship. When you think about a Christian, you often think about nicer clothes, going to church, and that's fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if I were to tell you, I mean, I just, I just want you to think about as, as mature adults, okay, or as maturing people, you're not an adult yet, would it be somewhat ridiculous for a person to say, you know, I want to be a Christian I just don't have the clothes to do it. Would that be slightly ridiculous to say that I, I want to become a Christian, I want to have my sins washed away, but I just I don't have the clothes to do it. Or worse, I want to go to services, I want to gather with the saints, but I just don't have the right clothes. Do you know there's an entire chapter of the Bible that is written on clothes? It's James. And it says, when someone comes in in tattered clothes, you accept them just like you accept them that's wearing the Armani suit. It'd be somewhat, it'd be hard to, to imagine a person saying, I want to come to church, but I just, I just don't have the clothes to do it in. Likewise, it'd be similar if a person said, I want to become a Christian. I just, I just don't, I just don't have enough Bible knowledge to become a Christian. I know that what you need to do is become saved. I know that you need to have your sins washed away. I know that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins after understanding the truth and believing the truth and accepting the truth that the truth says that, you, that my life is going to have to change. It's called repentance in the New Testament. I just don't know. You know, one time when I was reading the Bible, I, I downloaded this app and I was doing a daily Bible reading. And I got to this book in the Bible called the book of Ezekiel. And I just, I just don't understand that book, so I can't become a Christian. Would that be, I mean, let's face it, that's kind of ridiculous, right? That, that you understand what it takes to become a Christian. You understand what Christ did for you on the cross. You understand why we just took the Lord's Supper. You understand what it means to be a Christian, but you don't understand one aspect of, of Christianity that's not necessarily even built on, on what you need to do as a person living in 2018 in Columbus, Georgia to follow God. You don't understand the book of, of Ezekiel, and so you're just going to say, well, I can't become a Christian. 
that's somewhat of what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we get there, we need to talk about this word that comes up more often in the book of Proverbs than any other book. And that is the word vanity. It's the Hebrew word hevel or havel, however you want to pronounce that. It means a false hope. It, I mean, just if you think about the word hevel, right, it kind of sounds like breath. It's got a lot of breath in it. H-E-V-E. You've got letters on top of letters that kind of make you sound like you're breathing, right? And when you, I mean, when you get ready to say the word, let's everybody just say the word together. Are you ready? Hevel. Hevel. Now, when you do that, you have to take kind of a deeper breath than you usually do, right? Then if you're going to say the word the, you don't have to really take a breath. But if you're going to say the word hevel, you have to. And that's because the Hebrews, when they made up a word, when they came up with a word in their language, it often the sound of the word had as much to do with the meaning as anything. And the word hevel, it, it comes from the idea of breath. How, how fleeting is your breath? I mean, if you breathe right now, because it is 9 million degrees in here, because the heater's working, um, you may not think it's 9 million, but I do, and that's relative. Anyways, um, you don't see your breath, right? You can't, now if you go outside on a cold day, you might be able to see your breath. If you go into a refrigerator or into a, a big locker freezer, you might be able to see your breath. But right now, if you, if you were to read the Bible out loud, you could not see the words coming out of your mouth because of hevel, because Breath is fleeting. That's why the Hebrews decided to take a word, make a word that sounded really breathy, hevel. You had to take a little bit of a deeper breath to say it than, than other words in order to come up with this word. It started meaning a false hope. Like if you're going to put your, your faith in something that is hevel, then it's, it's fleeing. You can't see your breath. You can't see your words. And if you're putting your faith in something that is false, you can't do that. In fact, Psalm chapter 62 and verse 10, put no trust in exhortation or in extortion, sorry. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Set no vain hopes on robbery. Why, why do you not need to set your vain hopes on robbery? Because... That robbery may not succeed, number one. Number two, you may not live through that robbery. And how many people? Ephesians chapter 6 says that if a child grows up in the nurture and admonition of a, of a parent that is teaching them the gospel, that they will live a long life on the earth and that it will be well with them. Why? Because they're not putting their vain hopes in, in heaven. In, in, they're, they're not... They're not putting their hope in things that, that are useless, that are just fleeing, that may not work. Well, that's the word hevel. In fact, when the word hevel is used in the plural in the Old Testament and in Hebrew, most of the time, if it's used in the Old Testament in, in plural, it's talking about false idols. The word false would be hevel, vain idols. And so when you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you come to the very first section, right? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. It means idolatrous worship is pointless. Now, you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes thinking about idolatrous worship, have you? 
I mean, Ecclesiastes is not about all the idol worship that Solomon did. He had so many wives and so many concubines, and his wives took him into idolatry. And we've been studying idolatry on Sunday mornings in Bible classes. You don't think about the book of Ecclesiastes being about idolatry. But that's exactly what it is. He goes through a couple passages like, I tried to put all my, my hope in riches. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. I tried to put all my hope in physical possessions. We'll talk about that next week. And it was all vanity. It was just idol worship. It was false hope. I put all my false hope in all of these things. Today we're going to talk about the vanity, the false hope of wisdom. If someone were to say, I want to become a Christian, I just don't know enough. We'd all say that that is kind of pointless, right? That's, that's hevel. That's, you're, putting your, you're putting your faith in something. I mean, you don't have to understand the intricacies of the book of Revelation to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that you need to do something because of it. We understand that. However, we'll do the same thing on a regular occurrence. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. So, let's read our section of the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, all is hevel, And a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom... Is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Someone says, You know, I want to I, I start really digging deep into the scriptures. I really want to start being active in the local church. I really want to start. You know, I want to become a Christian, but I've got to fix some things first. Did you know that's the exact same argument as, I want to become a Christian, I just don't understand the book of Revelation. I know that you've probably heard this statement before, but the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. Y'all ever heard that statement before? I mean, it's kind of true. But, you know, that's put on every Instagram picture on the planet. I've probably shared it 17 times today. Anyways, um, but it's true. The idea, the idea that that I can't, I can't do X because I don't understand. I can't teach people the gospel. As a Christian, I can't convert the people around me because I don't understand the book of Revelation. I don't understand enough. I wish if I... You just give me long enough lead to where I can study some more and I can get to where I'm strong enough and then I'll start teaching people the gospel. The problem with that is every single one of you who has been baptized for the remission of your sins knows what you need to tell the next person to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Just tell them what you did. 
And if you're scared to tell them what you did, then the question is, did you do what was supposed to be done? I mean, think about it. If I'm going to teach someone how to play the trumpet, I'm going to teach them exactly the way I learned. You take a pencil between your mouth and you hold it there for 17 years. No. You take it and you hold it there for a long time and you practice blowing around it. And then you, you put that horn up to your mouth and you pl- blow just a little bit and you move your lips. You see, that's the same way I was learned how to do it. I was taught how to do it. I was learned. I'm from Arab. Sometimes we say, I'm going to learn you how. I'm going to learn you something good today. Anyways, that's how I learned how to do it. It's the same concept with teaching someone the gospel. You just teach them what, how you learned it. Now, think about this. When someone says, where's my clicker? When someone says, I, I just need a little more knowledge. I just need a little more time before I can do X. We're not just talking about evangelism here, although that's something that's very important. You know, last night I went to dinner with a couple preachers from the area. Um, all of them preachers at churches of Christ that are smaller than, than ourselves. And, you know, it's strange when you go to dinner with a bunch of preachers. First off, a lot of times it's, you know, we talk shop, which to a lot of people is kind of boring. But it's interesting because Warm Springs Road, you know, we've got 100 people. We're, we're not massive, you know, we're not Mount Juliet, Tennessee with 600 people or something like that. We're, we're an average size congregation of the Church of Christ. But I went to dinner with a couple preachers last night with church, from churches that are much smaller than ours. 10, 15 members in, in our area. And one of them asked me, Lee, what do you do to get your members to, to, to evangelize people? You know, how, how do you get the people that are sitting in the pews to teach the people that aren't sitting in the pews? That's his exact words. And I said, I don't know. When you figure it out, you tell me. Because it doesn't matter how big your church is. It doesn't matter how big your church family is. It's there all the time. Christians lack the encouragement, lack the, the, the mental capabilities maybe. Maybe it's, we just lack the, the firmness of our faith to be able to tell the person at the gas pump that we want them to go to heaven just like we want to go to heaven. Anyways, that statement that I just want to do this, but I need just a little more knowledge. Here's three things that the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says wisdom, knowledge, cannot do. Number one, it cannot change what is wrong into what is right. Look at verse 15 again of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. At what point will you know enough to where, men, you can lead in worship services? At what point, ladies, will you know enough to where you can teach your children the gospel? At what point Christians, will you know enough that you can teach them this person, this random person on the street, this family member that you've been trying to get to come to church? At what point will you have passed the threshold to know that you know enough to teach them the gospel? Did you know that the reason why I love doing Q&A, questions and answers, which is this afternoon, shameless plug, put your questions in quick, uh, so Wes and I can answer them this afternoon. You know why I love it? Because y'all think of questions that I've never thought of in my life. One of them is this afternoon. You see, 
No matter how much Bible knowledge you have, no matter how long you go to school, no matter how long you sit in those pews and listen to preachers like me or like Jim or like Forrest or like Jim Bob preacher pants that we come and have come preach for us, no matter how long you sit here, you will never know all of it. I promise. I can show you people. I can, I can tell you their phone numbers and you can call them of some of the most intelligent brothers in the church of Christ that are living today. And they can probably tell you things that they can't understand about the scriptures. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted because you don't know what you're lacking. You can't say, I don't have enough knowledge to do blank because you don't know at what point you're going to have that ability. And, and enough knowledge cannot get you to the point that you know that you know that you have reached the fullness of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, number two, also in number 15, it cannot fill a gap that is the wrong shape. I want to know enough so that I can let's just keep with this illustration of evangelism. I just want to know enough so that I can convert my, my cousin who is in blank denomination. I just want to know enough. And so you come to the preacher, you come to someone else, you Google it, um, and you say, what does the blank denomination believe? And you study that and study that and study that and study that and study that. And then you go to them and you sit across the coffee table with them and you say, okay, I want to teach you the gospel. Now, let's talk about all the intricacies of the theolo- theological ramifications of your denomination. And you know what? They don't even know what you're talking about. Because you're trying to fill knowledge that doesn't fit the hole that you're trying to fill. What you're trying to do is teach them what Jesus did on the cross... And what it means that they're supposed to do for their lives. And so you learn all this deep knowledge. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to a Bible study with a bunch of people. And, uh, and they said, well, Lee, you're a preacher, right? And I said, yeah, they're, they're not members of the church. I said, yeah, I am. And they said, so you know a lot. And I said, well, I went to school. And he said, how many years did you go to school? And I said, well, this is kind of embarrassing. He said, okay, what? And I said, I have 10 years of college. He said, wow, what degree do you have? Nothing. (laughs) I got a lapel pen and a piece of paper. And he said, well, what did you learn? I said, I learned a lot about a little. And that's about it. You You can't think that knowledge, if you're talking about serving in the local church or talking about evangelizing, you can't think that, That knowledge in this one area, if I just understand the book of Ezekiel, then I can serve in worship service. If I just understand a little bit more about the Lord's Supper, then I can help hand out the Lord's Supper. The the problem is that, that no matter how deep you dig into what we did a few minutes ago, you will never exhaust what he did on the cross. Ever. You cannot. Because you see, here's one thing that will always escape your ability to understand. Are you ready for this? Why did he have to do it? He's an infinite God with infinite capabilities, infinite love. Why did he have to die on a cross? 
you'll never come to the answer. Because it's not within your capability to understand it. And you're trying to learn more to fill a hole that is the wrong shape. Now, number three. Verse number 16. It cannot, knowledge cannot change. Wisdom cannot change the past. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Why does Solomon say that I gained more wisdom than everyone else before me over Jerusalem? Who was before him over Jerusalem? His dad, David, and King Saul. That's it. Two kings. Saul and David. If you want to count the judges, you can. If you want to count Samuel, you can. But the people who were actually over the nation of Israel, Saul and King David, his father. Why was Solomon looking for more answers? Why was Solomon searching the depths of creation, searching the depths of of Scripture? Why was he looking for more? I'm of the mind that he was looking because he wanted to learn more so that he didn't make the same mistakes that his father made. He didn't want to make the same mistakes that Saul made. And so he learns all of this wisdom. And then he marries 300 wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he completely changes the future of the nation of Israel because he wanted to learn enough that he could fix the past and not make the same mistakes that blank did. And in doing so, he opened himself up for bigger mistakes. You've heard the statement before. You've probably said it. I know I have. And you've heard me talk about this before. Never, ever say, well, you know, I just don't have a problem with blank temptation. That's just not one of my temptations. Blank sin. That's just not one of my temptations. I never, I never really had a problem with that. Because when you overcome what temptation you are facing, you've let your guard down on that one. That's the one that will come up. I promise. Every single time. Solomon says, I know enough. I have enough wisdom to not make the mistakes of my father and King Saul. And then he looks back at his life and he writes an entire book called the book of Ecclesiastes that says, I didn't make the same mistakes my dad did. I didn't make the same mistakes Saul did. Here are my mistakes. Twelve chapters of mistakes. Name the mistakes in your mind that David committed. Bathsheba. Changing the way worship was was orientated and the way that worship was was offered to God. Changing the ages of uh, of the... priests, so forth. David maybe has five, six, seven, ten mistakes in his life. Solomon has 12 chapters because he thought that wisdom, the ability to know, was going to make it so that he never had any problems. I want to wait to do blank. I know that I really should. I know that it's within my capabilities, but I want to wait because... I just want to wait until I don't make the mistakes that blank did. And then, you make bigger mistakes because you let your guard down on those. Now, let's go on. I want to talk about this this problem because what comes up in this when we're trying to say that 
what, what I'm trying to say is that if you are waiting for the time when you get enough wisdom that you can do blank, you're never going to get there, number one. You're never going to know when you're there, number two. And it's not really going to change anything, number three. So that kind of gives the idea that maybe growth isn't a thing. Well, the fact is that growth is a good thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joint and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When Christians are using their knowledge that they have right now to do what they know how to do right now, then the church is united and we can grow together because we will be able to do what we're supposed to be doing right now and we'll be able to look and see, hey, we need to grow in this area. We need to grow in this area. We need to grow in this area. But, when we're, but that only happens when we are united and working right now. Most everybody walked in here this morning, right? Some of us take a little longer. Some of us walk a little differently than other people. But, but most everybody, Finn outside, right? Um, most everybody walked in here. We all do it differently. The other day I was walking through Walmart. Dalton was behind me. And Dalton was in a little bit, I was a little perturbed. I, he wasn't in trouble, but I was a little perturbed. And, and so I was, um, if you're like me, when you get a little anxious, you walk very fast. I know it doesn't look like I can walk fast, but I can, okay? I was walking really fast, and I said, Dalton, where are you? And I looked behind, and he's about 15 feet behind me. I said, man, catch up. Come on, what are you doing? And he said, you walk too fast. Each, every person walks differently. Every person does things differently. But what Ephesians chapter 4 is saying is that when we are doing it to the best of our abilities, then we're united. When we're, when we're serving the local church to the best of our abilities, some people, that means you're not doing a whole lot. Some people means that do, you're doing a whole lot. But when we're serving the church to the best of our abilities in the knowledge that we have right now, in the wisdom that we have right now, then we can grow in knowledge and wisdom. But you can't sit by and say, man, when we get to this point, I, I hate when preachers say, if, if, pre if people were just reading their Bibles like they used to back in the day, then the church would really grow. No, the church needs to be growing right now. And they need to be reading their Bibles the way they used to in the, back in the day. And we need to be evangelizing the way we should. We can't just sit by and say, when we get to this point, then we'll really make it. Because you'll never make it. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. So here's what I want to end with. Three people that you may not realize were in the same situation that we're talking about this morning. They were either new Christians, they were new to the faith, they weren't Christians yet, and they had a little bit of knowledge. One of them says he didn't know enough. The other one didn't know he didn't know enough. And the third one worked where he was and grew. So the first one is King Agrippa, Acts chapter 26, uh, verse number 24. Acts chapter 26, verse 24, if you want to go ahead and open up there. 
Paul is speaking to the, the Roman leaders here, and in verse 24, he says, and as uh, Luke records, and as he was saying these things in this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul said, not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and, I, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner, this this Christianity. We haven't been hiding Christianity. We haven't been isolating ourselves. We've We've been being Christians and living as Christians and evangelizing and worshiping right in front of you, and you know it. King Agrippa, verse 27. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa answered and said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Agrippa says, do you think that in one speech, you can, I know that some translations say, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. The word literally means in this short amount of time. Do you think in one speech you can teach me enough that I will know enough to be a Christian? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought that you and everyone else here will know enough when I get done. Someone says, what does a person need to know in order to become a Christian? Jesus died on the cross. He calls you to be baptized for the remission of your sins because he died for those sins. And if you don't, you'll be tormented for eternity. It just took me 15 seconds. Do you think in this, long, in this one long speech, Paul, that you can teach me enough that I need to become a Christian? Yeah, because you can say it in 15 seconds. I'll tell you a story real quick, and then we'll go on. Back in preaching school, uh, the preaching students are required to lead the invitations on Wednesday nights. And there's this thing that... You're not supposed to go over three minutes. You get in trouble. It's for a grade. And so you get a bad grade if you go over three minutes. And y'all know my personality, right? My personality is if you tell me that I can't go over three minutes, I'm going to see how long I can actually make it. Really, I'm going to see how short I can actually make it and still get an A. I hold the record at the Memphis School of Preaching for the shortest invitation ever offered. It was 17 seconds. See? Yeah, I'm pretty good. All right. It takes 17 seconds to teach someone what they need to know to become a Christian. And Agrippa says, I don't know enough yet. Now, number two, go to Acts chapter 18, verse 24. So we have Agrippa who says, you can't teach me enough to become a Christian right now in this short amount of time. Acts 18, verse 24 records Apollos. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Remember that. Underline that in your Bible. He was eloquent, but he was also competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Began to speak boldly in a synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he had wished to cross to Achaia, 
The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to, to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos, now Agrippa says, I don't know enough to become a Christian. I can't do it because I just haven't had enough time to learn, Paul. Apollos doesn't know. He's the person in verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 1. What is lacking cannot be counted. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that he's missing something. But he knows that what I know right now is what I have to tell someone. And so he does it. And then he comes to the synagogue and a man named Priscilla and his wife Aquila are sitting there in the synagogue listening. And maybe they're, maybe they're there because they're going to get a chance here in just a moment. Priscilla is at least. He's going to get a chance to, to, to speak. And, and so they're sitting there and this man named Apollos from out of town comes. And he starts teaching. And they start realizing, wait. What he's saying is exactly, exactly what I was going to say. Except he just doesn't understand baptism yet. He's missing this one thing. Now, we can talk about that later on. Maybe you could ask a question of why it's okay for Apollos to not have understood baptism. That's a different subject altogether. But he knows what he knows, and so he's going to use what he knows to do what he's supposed to do right now. Number three is a man that you've probably heard of at least once or twice, and his name is Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 19 and 20. He is baptized for the remission of his sins. After spending three days in Damascus blind and praying, a man comes in and tells him, why are you sitting there? Why are you waiting? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins. And so he does that. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse, uh, I believe it's verse number 20. Yeah, verse number 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. Paul is baptized, and immediately he starts preaching the truth. But there's a catch to that. It doesn't, you don't see it in the book of Acts. You have to go to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 16 through 24, when he talks about what happened when he was baptized. When Paul's baptized, he doesn't go right then and there to Damascus and start preaching the truth. He goes into Arabia. He goes into the desert, and he spends some time with the Christians there learning. But while he's learning, he's also preaching. See, Paul is the one that we need to follow. Apollos, he's, he's learning. He learns by accident almost. But he's using what he knows to do what he knows he's supposed to do. But Paul does both at the same time. He says, I don't understand everything. I'm not ready to be an apostle of Jesus Christ yet. So I'm going to take some time to grow in my faith. But while I'm growing in my faith, I'm going to do exactly what I need to be doing right now. You see, back in Ecclesiastes, Solomon thought that if he just gained more wisdom, if he got to this point where he crossed the line, then one, he wouldn't make the same mistakes other people made, which is true. He didn't. He made different ones. Much, much Grievous ones, much more grievous ones, much more dangerous ones. Mistakes that divided the kingdom of Israel for the rest of its existence. He thought that if I just gain enough wisdom, if I just gain enough knowledge, 
then I'll get to the point where I'll be able to answer the questions that people ask me. But what is lacking cannot be counted. And that's why he starts the book of vanities off by saying, I learned a lot. I was, very, I was wiser, more wise than any other person that had ever led Israel. And what I was doing was using the scriptures, I was using the Bible as an idol. And that's what we do when we say, well, when, once I get to this point, you've heard the person that says, you know, once I get past blank sin, then I, become, then I can become a Christian, right? I just need to get my life together before I can become a Christian. I just need to fix this one thing. I, I've just got this one hurdle that, that I, once I get over this, I'll become a Christian. No, because next time when you get over that, there'll be something else. And then there'll be something else. And the point of Christianity is that you're being a Christian while you're getting over those hurdles. And Solomon said, I started using scripture, I started using wisdom as an idol. Something that could just be held on to. And once I have this, then I'll have all of my questions answered. Then I'll have all of my problems fixed. And what he realized was, that's not the truth. And so he ends the book with, here's the answer. Here's the answer to false idols. Here's the answer to Hevel. Just use what you know right now to fear God and keep His commandments. And when you learn that you've been making a mistake with one of the commandments, then you add that to the list of knowledge, add that to the list of wisdom, and then you keep working on that. And then when you learn something else, you add that to your list of wisdom. And over and over and over again. Until you get to the point as a Christian that you have lived so long and you have been faithful for so long and you are so strong in the Scriptures that you still have to work on things. There are a lot of people that use this book as an idol. Once I know this book enough, then I'll be ready to do blank. I'll be ready to teach the person next to me. I'll be ready to I'll be ready to serve and worship. Do you want to know what's so amazing about new Christians? They don't know what they don't know. And so they're willing to just be, as we call it, on fire. You ever heard that before? A new Christian is, he's really on fire. And then those of us that use this as an idol break them down to the point that they say, well, then I don't know enough. Every person that's a Christian in here has been on fire. Right after you're baptized, you don't know that you don't know anything. (laughs) But then eventually, you get to the point where you start realizing And you shoot yourself in the foot because you stop. And what Ecclesiastes is telling us is, you just use what you know right now and get that done. And you'll learn more as you go. Because that is what the unity of the church is meant for. If you want to become a Christian this morning, let me tell you this. You do not have to know everything. You will never know everything. That is perfectly fine. If you know what it takes to become a Christian, if you know that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you're sitting there and telling yourself, well, I know that, but I just need to wait just a little longer until I fix this, until I fix that. Use Solomon as an example. You will never get there. 
use what you know right now to fix the problem that's standing right in front of you. And then after that, you'll fix the other problems as you come along to them. If you want to become a Christian this morning through baptism, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.